Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello, and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I want to thank you for joining us here on episode 57. We've got a great guest coming up, Matt Brown. Matt is a musician, hails originally uh, from just north of Portland, Oregon, and southern Washington state, but now lives, as many musicians do, in Nashville, Tennessee. In fact, I was reviewing how many musicians from Nashville, Tennessee have we had on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Matt makes our ninth one. I'm going to run through them for you. Amy Gerhartz, who was not in Nashville when we first interviewed her. She was in Atlanta, but she was about to move to Nashville, where she's been now for almost the last three years. Nick Gill, who is uh, currently actually uh, temporarily, maybe permanently, who knows, in Washington, D.C., but he's been in Nashville for at least the last four or five years and kind of going back and forth there. Uh, Steve Everett, Paul Thau, Matt Hires, Jordy Searcy, Tony Luca, Andrew Leahy, and now Matt Brown, all musicians who are making their careers in Nashville. I feel like we should just go up there and have a party sometime with and get everybody together um, on the Agents of Innovation podcast uh, artist party. How about, how about you guys? You guys think that? I think that'd be great. Maybe Matt Brown can, uh, can arrange that. So uh, maybe when we get to 10. We'll do it when we get to 10. So anyway, I just want to thank you for being... Uh, on uh, a listener here of the Agents of Innovation podcast. If, you've, if this is your first episode, there's 56 before this. You can go back and listen to any of the uh, musicians that we've had on in some of those interviews uh, with them. Uh, you can also listen to a number of entrepreneurs and philanthropists, people just doing some exceptionally great work. But while you're at it, I love you, especially if you're listening to this on your iPhone through the Apple Podcast app. Go through there. You can find a way when you go to the main page for this podcast to see that we have 24 reviews, which is fantastic. We have a five-star rating. Awesome. But we need 50 reviews by the end of 2019, and we didn't move the needle at all between episode 56 or 57. So um, without me harassing anybody, I'd love to see maybe we can get something organic going here. So I really appreciate that. What happens when um, there are more reviews it moves the podcast up amongst all the plethora of podcasts out there. So there are podcasts out there with thousands of reviews, but you know many don't have any at all. So I'm so thankful for 24 awesome reviews and five-star rating. Uh, appreciate anything you can do to help us out. Also, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have all those accounts and all the people that came before, all 56 episodes, plus now Matt Brown, we have post- on all those platforms, we still continue to follow them. One person I have followed very closely since we had him on the episode 45 last summer uh, was Matt Thomas. Matt, as you might remember, started and runs a great organization called Brawl for a Cause. I've never seen a charitable organization uh, run like this. It's putting people who are believers in the charities they believe in, they put them in the ring. They literally fight in a boxing ring for the cause they believe in. And I mention this only because I just went to his 2019 Brawl for a Cause in Atlanta, Georgia, because I was so intrigued. I had to check it out myself. There was like 1,500 people there. There were 12 
bouts, 24 boxers, uh, and it was just amazing. They raised, uh, as of now, over $330,000 just up up to the event and, and, and a little bit during it. So it was really amazing, and I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 45 if you haven't yet and learn more about Brawl for a Cause. I hope I can go back and, and go to the next one again, and I hope they spread to additional cities because what Matt is doing with Brawl for a Cause is really taking charity and giving to charity and making it an entertainment experience for the people involved, uh, both the boxers and the people like myself who went and showed up to the event. So I really uh, hope you um, are enjoying all the stories of the great innovation being done by all these entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists that we're bringing you here on the Agents of Innovation podcast. And if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, hey, contact me as well. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. And also, we'll put the blog post up here for this episode and all the other ones you can find at agentsofinnovation.org. And we're going to hear a song by Matt Brown at the end of this episode called Warm Like Whiskey. And so I want you to uh, listen in to this interview. Appreciate any feedback you want to give us about Matt or any of the other guests um, or about his song at the end of this, this podcast. So thank you so much. And now let's get to Matt. I would like to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, Matt Brown. Matt, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, Matt, um, I'm here in Florida, and we're doing this over, uh, well, we're doing this over Uber conference call, the first time I've attempted this, uh, and on my new computer here, too. So we had a little technical uh, uh, getting going here. Uh, Usually when I do these, I do them over Skype. So we'll see how this one works and how the audience uh, likes the new uh, recording. But uh, I, I take it you're in Nashville, Tennessee? Hanging out in Nashville, Tennessee. The the sun is starting to come out. So, well, it's come it's come out here in Orlando. I'm telling you, it's perfectly a a perfectly uh, first day or two of spring here, and we are just uh, enjoying it. And we saw you last week here in uh, Central Florida. You played at the new Growler USA Pub out in Claremont. Uh, Our friends Charles and Kathy Good hosted you, and it was just a really great time and a really good crowd there. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I love Kathy and Charles, and they're great people. And and uh, it saw some familiar faces there, and good beer and music. It was awesome. So, so Matt, you're a musician. Uh, I t- I know you grew up in a small town, a little bit uh, north of Portland, Oregon. In I'm going to try to pronounce this Washougal, Washington. Is that right? That's right, man. Washougal, Washington. And then I know you went on to college at Seattle University. Um, and you've been all over the place now playing, uh, everywhere from places like Chicago and, uh, down to Texas and up to the Northeast and down here in Florida and out at sea. So it's, uh, it's been great. And I first encountered you last fall. I think it was when, uh, you played a house show in the Orlando area with, uh, our good friend JD Iker. Oh yeah. Yeah. JD and I, um, we used to be on the same record label and um, they, they put us together and we've been helping each other out. Um, Cross pollinating is kind of what we call it. And, you know, um, exposing each other to um, our fan bases. And yeah, I was out on the road this, I guess it was the fall in, in Florida. And that was my first time kind of hitting the, the home show tour in Florida. And it was awesome. Well, we had JD on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Uh, boy, it's been over two years now. Um, 
And I got to know him uh, first through Rock by the Sea. And I know he's been on the rock boat since and everything. So, but uh, tell, let's uh, back up a little bit with you and your story and how you got started with music. I understand you picked it up as a kid and you had a, a musical family. Yeah. So my, my dad's always been a guitar player. My grandpa was a guitar player. Um, and um, music is, was always the centerpiece of, of our home with dinner. There's always music, a record playing in the background. And my dad, you know, uh, always became the life of the party with an acoustic guitar and, and um, us kids would sit around and listen to him play or, or dance. And, and, and whether it was just our family or a Christmas party or, a, or just to get together, music was always kind of the, the core of it. And, um, and then always hearing music in the house too, like I said. So um, that's, uh, that was kind of my upbringing um, was music, 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 and uh, good music, I should say too. So, well, what kind of uh, what kind of music was some of your favorite growing up as a kid, and and, and maybe some things that your dad might like and play? Yeah, I, I'm I'm a sucker for the nostalgic, um, older stuff. Um, you know, a lot of Ray Charles, a lot of Otis Redding, um, you know, Sam Cooke, um, Etta James, Aretha Franklin, The Beatles, Roy Orbison, and then you know, getting into some old blues too. Um, Steve Ray Vaughan, Jimi Hendrix, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, so I, it was all, it was always kind of that, that older, you know, 50s and 60s, I would say. It was kind of the era that uh, was always playing in the house. Well, now that you're in Nashville, Tennessee, um, have you had much opportunity to get over to Memphis? Believe it or not, I, I haven't uh, been to Memphis a whole lot and, and, I'm, and I'm bummed because it's not very far I did go to Graceland, uh, outside of Graceland and passing through, but, um, yeah, I, I haven't really seen the Memphis scene, but I, I would like to. Well, uh, almost exactly a year ago, it was my first trip to Memphis. And I, I think of it because when you were talking about some of your influences, uh, it was really cool to see how Memphis was just, especially at that time in the fifties and sixties, just geographically situated to, yeah. you know, bring in all these different types of musical styles. Uh, and, and it really just where it was, it just kind of brought, you know, the, maybe the blues from the South, the blues from Chicago, uh, what was going on in Motown, uh, you know, just collection of country music in the, in the Midwest, uh, and just kind of bringing all that soul, uh, and country a little bit, even together, uh, just bring it. And anyway, one of the people you mentioned, Ray Charles, uh, I had an opportunity. There's an old, I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, establishment there <laughs> and where it's at this restaurant above it. It's on the grounds of an old uh, whorehouse <laughs> that apparently Ray, Ray Charles used to frequent. Um, yeah, I've heard some stories about Ray. Like I actually, we walked into this uh, room and they had his old piano there, the piano that he played in the whorehouse. <laughs> so, uh, Quite interesting. I got a photo with it. So uh, I'll have to put that up somewhere. But uh, anyway, but I was just thinking, you know, yeah, that was just such a great time, uh, a musical collection, some of that music that really sounds like inspired you and your family to to jam. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well, so let's uh, move forward a little bit. So as a kid, uh, you, you, you started playing as a, as a teenager a little bit. Uh, I think you mentioned with on the drums first and then sort of migrating yeah. Yeah, on the on the drums, and my brother started playing guitar. 
um, you know, as a, as a teenager and I'm um, just a little bit younger than him. And so I got a drum kit. I always naturally loved rhythm. And to this day, I think as a guitar player, I, I think of rhythm a lot when I play because rhythm is, is the heartbeat and the vibe of, of everything in a song. And um, so that was my first instrument. And also too, at 14, you just want to beat the hell out of everything. So that's a good way of <laughs> channeling your, your, your uh, energy at that age. And then you sort of advance. Uh, I know you went on to college, and where did you? When did you move over to picking up the guitar? So uh, at about twenty years old, I moved from Portland to Seattle, or I should say, Washougal, um, and bought a guitar. Um, you know, for something to do, uh, moving to a new city, and and um, and then uh, started writing tunes and singing and playing open mic nights. So. 20 years old was when I bought my first guitar. The sort of college town open mic nights. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was primarily on, on the college campus. We had um, a little cafe coffee house called the, the, the crow's nest, I believe. And, um, you know, we had different, different little venues like that around the campus, which was so cool. And uh, you know, it's sad. I was thinking about it the other day. That's when kids, would really just sit down and listen to music and they weren't glued to their phones <laughs> just, just before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just before. I mean, it's not, it hasn't been that long ago, but um, you know, Instagram is, is so new that, I mean, even just 2010, 2009 um, people were still so much more engaged, I feel like, but, um, and that, that, that was a great time to, to, to start playing music because people were really listening. Yeah. And you know, what is what is that now? You know, I mean, how is that now for a musician like yourself? I mean, I noticed last week we were in a sort of a pub establishment. I bet you probably play a lot of those types of gigs. And, you know, it's it's a it's a social environment, right? People are there. They're getting food. They're getting drink. They're hearing music. Sometimes for them, the music is just sort of in the background. But if they're really interested in you as an artist, they might be pay, they might be there specifically for you. And the food and the drink is really more in the background. Um, but yeah everybody's got these little devices, right? And so we're always on them. Uh, <laughs> what is it like? I mean, looking out at the audience, are people just, are their heads down? <laughs> what, what, do you, what are you yeah. seeing? So I've been at this for, you know, 10 years now. And it's been, I've seen the transition. I've seen the progression of, of engagement to engagement with, with me and to engagement with their phone. And even though they're recording the songs or maybe posting about it, I still would would rather have, you know, the, the prior engagement of people just being in the moment. And I'm throwing myself under the bus here too because, I, you know, it, our phones are are just they're 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 like a limb now, essentially. You yeah. Know? Um, but uh, I will say that um, it, it's it is harder. Um, I would say to it's distracting to see people on their phones all the time as a performer. Um, because as a performer, the nature of the game is like when you see people engaged, you you play your heart out that much more. Uh, right. Not to say you don't you don't put on a good show, but it's just naturally what happens when you see people are into it, you get into it that much more, and it allows you to to, to live in the moment as a performer. Um, and some shows are better than others, and 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 the whole background thing, you know, there's been shows you know, with, with noise in the background since the beginning of time. Um, right. Uh, and I think for me, I've realized that, um, 
what you do at that point is you play to the people in the room that are listening. And even if it's two people, it's you play for them. And um, so you got to have nerves of steel, man. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Well, you know, I was also thinking you, uh, play, you know, went to college in Seattle. And I imagine you went to college a little after the 90s grunge scene in Seattle. Yeah. But yeah. when I think of Seattle as somebody who's a, a fan of many, many of those bands, I was in, you know, high school and college when sure. uh, that whole scene was going on. Uh, everybody from Soundgarden to Pearl Jam to Candlebox to you name it. Uh, and what was what what's the music scene like as your one? What was your perception? Where were you when that was going on? But uh, what what was the music scene line like when you arrived in Seattle and were playing as a musician in some of these coffee shops and open yeah. mic nights? Um, so it was that was the the golden era of the singer songwriter. Um, I think because that, that, you know, this was the mid to late two thousands, you know, mid when I started. Um, and it was, it was very much, you know, Jack Johnson, uh, John Mayer, uh, Nora Jones, Coldplay, um, their earlier years, um, you know, David Gray, uh, Amos Lee, that style was, was so, uh, in at that, at that time. And, and, um, so there was a lot of that going on. And like I said, I, I feel like um, the it, it was a good listening crowd when I got started. So when you, um, when you were playing, yeah, when you were playing, when you got started, were you mostly doing covers? Had you done any songwriting up to that point? Uh, I was doing originals and throwing in a few covers. Oh. Um, and, and throwing in, you know, older covers that, uh, you know, and putting my twist on them. And, and I think some people thought they were my originals and that's kind of how it's always been. Like, you know, a lot of the songs, a lot of the hits by some of these greats, they're really, they're just cover songs, you know, um, essentially, um, you know, a lot of the old Etta James and, and, and Ray Charles and Sam Cooke, those are all old songs that they redid and, and put their own twist on. Um, not all of them, but a lot of them. And, uh, and that's kind of the beauty of, of, of doing a cover, um is making it your own the, the original is already a great song so make it your own right yeah so uh, for sure well so um once you sort of leave seattle university what's your next step so i i left um seattle university and and left um the corporate by the way did you did you finish college or did i did i did i graduated okay. with a with a um finance degree from from the business school and it was a great school and um, love business, love entrepreneurship, love finance. And, um, but I knew at that point that my love and my passion was music. And, and so I had to make that decision and actually had great advice from my folks and from other mentors that you can always go back to that finance world, but you can't always go back to, you know, touring and, 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 you know, the, the life of a musician that's, that's harder to choose it, you know, as you get older. Um, so I moved back to Portland, Oregon, uh, and started a little business that allowed me to do music. Uh, what was that business? <laughs> it's funny. Um, so out in where I grew up, there's a lot of horse farms and, you know, people board their horses. And, and so I saw a niche market for, um, it's, it's, they're called wood shavings. So basically the bedding that the horses would, you know, sleep in, in their stalls. 
um, made out of wood chips. And so I distributed those and sold them to horse farms throughout the Northwest. Wow. Well, you know, every entrepreneur says they, they see a niche. And so this was the niche you saw. And uh, so how long did you do that for? And, and how successful was it? And, and then where in that period did you continue with the music? Yeah, so I basically did it for, um, let's see here. I basically did it for a good, you know, five years, four or five years, four to five years. And um, it, it was successful. It allowed me to make, you know, a, a decent income and have tons of free time. It was a, a one-man operation. I was the only employee and um, built up a great clientele um, about, you know, 50 to, to 60 clients. And, um, and, uh, and, but I, but I, I, I think with every, you know, career path, or, or I should say with every passion, you take the plunge at some point and, and, and I was getting comfortable, if that makes sense. And I think whenever you get too comfortable, um, it's good to take risk. And so I said, I, I want to move to Nashville, get completely uncomfortable and completely take the plunge as as a musician, singer, songwriter, touring artist. And so I quit that business and, and actually passed it on to my, my dad's company. Uh, he owns a trucking company and, and they kind of took that over. And then uh, I moved to Nashville. I put my house on the market and uh, I said, if my house sells in less than a week, then I'll move to Nashville. And, and it's less than a week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it sold in less than a week? It sold in one day. Wow, this must have been when the market was good. <laughs> this, is, this is when it was, you know, it was it was it was picking back up. Um, this so this is like 2014, 13, 14? 2013, 2014, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, um, so while you were running this company, this one man operation, uh where were you still doing music gigs with because you mentioned you had some free time? Oh yeah, I was gigging a lot. Um, okay, I was I was basically doing Thursday through Sunday, you know, every week. And on Sunday, sometimes I'd play three gigs. You know, I'd play a a farmer's market in the morning, I'd play a brewery, and then I'd play a club. Um, so, I mean, I was putting in putting in time and working on my chops, and and um, I, I, so I was busy. That's good. So then you move uh, you move to Nashville, Tennessee. And where, uh, I bet, are you are just, did you just go full time into music at that point? Yeah, I was, I was pretty fortunate because I, I had done well on my, on the sale of my house. So it allowed me to kind of, um, you know, jump into the city and, and, and really, you know, not have to rely on playing shows right away, um, and writing songs, but, but it was intimidating moving here and, and you kind of get lost. Um, because you feel like a little fish in a, in a huge, huge pond. And so, you know, you're this little small town, you know, hero musician that's on the up and up. And then you move to Nashville and, and everyone is a singer songwriter. Your dentist is a writer and a, and a performer, you know I mean? It's like, so you, you kind of have this short term identity crisis of like, well, who am I and what am I and, and how do I shine here? And that leads into a lot of other things, which I could talk about. But um, essentially, I think the guys that stick with it through that period of, of, of you know, ambiguity and, and haziness, you find that your only way in making it is being you and being 
authentic. Um, and what is being what is being Matt Brown? What is the authenticity of Matt Brown? You know, that's that's writing uh, writing songs uh, that make me happy and not everyone else. And not trying to please other people's ears because um, you're not going to please everyone's ears and you're going to offend people. You're, you're not going to you're not going to make everyone happy. Um, and uh, the target is, is so hard to hit in terms of making it. Uh, whether you're trying to emulate what you think is going to make it or you're doing it 100% from the heart and being authentic, it's so hard to hit. You might as well do it being you. And, um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of when I, that's why I was saying, you know, when you're lost here, you, you, you kind of start to navigate, um, you know, based on what other people are doing, like, Oh, this person, this, this girl is, is doing this type of sound and this she's doing this. Maybe I should do that. Or this guy is doing that. And then all of a sudden there's no you in it. And so, um, I just think that you have to, there's an art form to not caring and not comparing yourself to others. And I think if you stick it out long enough, you figure that out. So uh, how is the scene in Nashville? Do you find, or even just like sort of the culture in the music scene, uh, do you find it to be competitive, collaborative? Um, You know, what what's it been like for you with the experience of meeting other artists and others that work in the music industry? Yeah, I, I think it's, both of those things, it's very competitive. The differences between LA and Nashville is that it's a polite competitiveness, if that makes any sense. Yes. Like everyone deep down has an agenda and everyone does want something. Um, you know, that's just the truth of, of, of the business is um, you, you, everyone is doing something to gain something. Um, that's business. And it's always been that way. Um, but I, I will say that, you know, um, uh, you know, it, it's easy to to meet with anyone in this town. I mean, anyone will give you a first meeting or a coffee. They'll give you their time. Um, but, uh, you know, Nashville is, it's a, it's a songwriter's town. And that being said, there's a lot of people that are, that are, you know, chasing the machine of writing songs. So it's like three songs a day. It's, it's in my opinion, just quantity, quantity, quantity. And, and, and I, when I moved here, I, I was co-writing a lot. And that's, that's what people do is it's, it's co-writing. And a lot of people are either with a publishing company, which means they basically write songs for a living, um, or they're trying to get a publishing deal and with a publishing company. And so it's like, right, 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 right. And, and though I do think there's good to that, um, it's, it's not, uh, I'm finding, and I found out within the last couple of years that that's not necessarily my way of doing it. Um, I, I'm not opposed to co-writing, but I want to keep my tribe small. And, um, because in my opinion, vulnerability and, um, synergy, um, I think happen with people that you trust and know, and, and the, and you've worked with a lot and you have a good rapport. So are you, uh, uh, this tribe, are, is, is this composed of other artists or yeah, I mean, songwriters? Yeah. So uh, I was telling telling you earlier about um <clears throat> my friend i met in college his name's ryan root and uh, we we basically our friendship started by writing songs and and you know he's been the main co-writer um in my career we've written a couple hundred songs now 250 songs 
wow. all kinds of different songs. And we typically just work really well together. We, we, we're usually thinking on the same page. And if I'm on fire, he gets out of the way and, you know, lets me take the reins and vice versa. And, um, and, and, and I have a handful of musicians on the creative, um, you know, side of things here in Nashville that I, that I typically go to and, and producers and, and things like that. So, you know, the tribe of, of creating and making music is, is relatively small here for me. So the 250 songs that you've written together just with Ryan. Yeah. So tell me of those songs, how many of those songs that you've written are for yourself or for Ryan and, and how, and how do the other ones uh, get distributed out? I would say that there was a period of time uh, within the last three, four years that we were just like, shelling out a ton of material. We also uh, dabble with TV and film sync licensing. So we've written a lot of songs, you know, for that purpose of pitching for TV and film. And that's a different type of song. And I would say it's less for us and more for the product. Mm-hmm. So, but I, w- I would say that, you know, over half of what we do is, is, is for us. And, and okay. something we love. Uh, so, so when you say they're for you, uh, that's a lot of songs. You haven't, produce that many on an album or anything uh, no. where where do those songs uh go so <laughs> some of them we forget about and and we just did this the other day we were going through our catalog and like man this is a great song like what what is it what are we going to do with this song and and um and and sometimes it's a matter of what you know what makes an album is is really a collection of of songs that work in a body of work but um, the reality is, I might for my next couple of records, I maybe I'll pick five from our catalog. I'm not sure. But the beautiful thing about a song is it's timeless, and and they're, they're there, and they're out in the world, and you can't take them back. <laughs> you know. So um, so in this world we have now, where you don't necessarily have to go through a record company, you know, mm-hmm. you can. You know, we have so many ways to get our music out there. It could be iTunes, it could be Spotify, Pandora, all these things. Um, you could just like right make a decision. Oh, I'm going to throw a hundred songs out there. Um, but sure. why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you do that? And 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 what's your sort of decision making and when and how you you put out sure. songs I mean, to the public? I wouldn't throw out a hundred at once because I believe now we're in an era of releasing content frequently, small amounts of content frequently. Um, and, and I would say the main reason for that is because the, the average attention span, uh, with social media and, and smartphones is, is decreasing, um, exponentially. Um, if you, even if you go to a, to a big band and you look at their album releases today, the first two songs or the single are, have all of the plays. Mm-hmm. Um, now some bands are like, we don't care. We're going to keep releasing full length records, but we're also in an era uh, in a, that's that I believe is a song by song basis. The, and I like that because it allows you to change up directions. It, it allows you to change themes quickly. Um, and I, I just think it's good to keep people, um, you know, waiting and, and wanting more rather than just releasing a huge chunk of material. It's like no one sifts through more than five songs now. Um, you know, unless they're an avid fan. And I'm, and I'm mainly talking about new fans. 
um, you know, you, you only need one song uh, to get a new fan um, and give them less clutter to go through because there's already too much on the internet. <laughs> yeah, no, that's for sure. Uh, well, so I just want to shift the conversation a little bit. Uh, so you've been a singer songwriter, a, a solo artist, a vocalist. Uh, do you play in any other bands from time to time? Do you ever get any gigs with any other bands? You know, I, I've done a, a few um, for some singer songwriters um, out west, and and, uh, and and played, you know, fill in here and there, um, but nothing consistent. But I will say that it's a blast, and and I'd actually like to do that, um, you know more in the future is, is just sit in as a guitar player and focus on that role because when i play live i'm i'm, I'm the guitar player i'm the singer and the performer and it, so it's a lot of fun for me to get to play guitar on the side and i know you have played on some of the same stages with some great artists um uh i've read here about uh you've opened for huey lewis uh and also you played recently on the sail across the sun uh, last year. This is one of the six man cruises. Uh, everybody's yes. familiar with me talking about the rock boat. This is in the same family as the rock boat. And this is uh, the one with that train uh, heads up. And then I know just in a couple weeks from when we're talking here, uh, in fact, probably a lot of people listening to this will be listening to this after you go do the, uh, the Bon Jovi cruise. I think it's called runaway to paradise. Uh, yes. So tell me a little bit about kind of, playing with some of these other really great artists yeah so um yeah you mentioned huey lewis we, we did a chris isaac show um and uh we you know the train experience and and uh now we're with john bon jovi and, and collective soul and tonic and um it, it it's so inspiring to play with these acts um you know uh my favorite was um, Chris Isaac. Um, I just love that guy's voice. I love his vibe. And uh, his fans were so gracious and so supportive to this day. Um, and, and also, you know, the, the train fans have been huge. Um, that was a life-changing um, experience going on the sail across the sun with train. And, and uh, Michael Franti was on that as well. And, those fans are, are lifers. They're, they, they will back you um, as long as you play music. And they open up their homes and they come out to shows and they host shows and they, they're, they're big champions of, of what we do. And so hope to do many more of those and, and keep building that fan base. Yeah, I've seen some of the, uh, the commentary online, especially from a lot of these fans that fo have followed you from that cruise. I think, I think there were some at the, uh, the show out in Claremont in central Florida here uh, oh, yeah. that showed up, right? Yes. So that's got to be a great thing. When you, Every time you go somewhere now, I mean, these people are showing up from all over the country that have seen you on some of these bigger stages, uh, places like uh, the Sail Across the Sun. And I'm sure you're going to pick up some new fans. Uh, I think your, your music probably uh, will attract some of, the, some of the same people, I think, uh, that are coming out to that John Bon Jovi cruise. <laughs> Yeah, man. Um, the uh, there are there are some sail across the sun people going on the John Bon Jovi cruise, and so we're gonna have familiar faces, and and then I'm excited to to meet a bunch of new people on the boat because that's that's what it's all about. Is it, it's 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 a great exposure opportunity. 
So uh, now that, you know, so going forward, you're, you're going to come back off uh, this cruise. Uh, what's the next step? Uh, are you touring? Are you are you songwriting? What's the next step as you're, you're taking your career forward? Yeah, um, you know, got a, a fairly good summer coming up uh, with um, some club shows and, and um, some festivals and and so the, the summer is, is always the, the busy time for playing shows and, um, and, uh, fitting in some, you know, home projects too. I'm, I'm working on an Airbnb in Nashville, which is going to be done, um, in, in May. Um, but, uh, I, I it's going to be busy, a lot of traveling. I'm super excited I'm playing out West, um, doing some Chicago dates and, and Colorado. And, um, so hitting it hard, man. Well, great. We'll have to send some people your way. And uh, before I get to this next question, I want—I uh, didn't tell you this at the top of the podcast with all these tech issues I was having with this new computer. Uh, but uh, I do want you to think about a song that we can play at the end of this podcast. We always leave our listeners uh, with a song at the end of the podcast from the artists that we have on. So, so be thinking about that and what song we could introduce. But before that, I want to ask you uh, a question that I got from a book uh, about two years ago, or actually sometime last year that I read. Uh, and this was from U.S. Senator Ben Sass. In the book, uh, he talks about um, when he meets people, he likes to ask them what their first job was. And since this podcast is a lot about entrepreneurship, I like to ask that question now. What was your first job? And if there was anything... Uh, sort of special bat or or skills that you still keep with you today from it, you know, feel free to share that as well. Yeah. My first job was pulling weeds <laughs> and um, it was incredibly monotonous and um, but I'm so grateful for that job. And, and my boss uh, who was a family friend who wouldn't pay me until I did a good job and it taught me work ethic and how to save money. And, um, and, uh, I don't know, I, 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 to this day really enjoy yard work. It's therapeutic because you see the results. <laughs> uh, and, uh, so that was my first job. I think I got, um, uh, $5 an hour and, uh, I was, I couldn't drive. So my, my dad had to drop me off and, uh, we pulling weeds. All summer well, long. Well, that's good. Well, that instills some good work ethic and something uh, you kind of get in the small towns of uh, southern Washington state, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, Matt, are there any parting thoughts you want to leave uh, with our listeners? Anything about uh, related to entrepreneurship or being a musician or anything? Uh, any, if there's any young musicians or, or any other people who are in, in full-time jobs and maybe they've got a a great musical talent like you did or thinking of, yeah. of exploring I, it. I would say, um, you know, uh, if you truly love, uh, music and you love songwriting, um, make sure there's always a piece of you in it. And, and, uh, you should always believe what you're singing lyrically and melodically. You should never be, and, and you should always be proud, uh, to share songs and eager to share songs. If you're not excited about sharing songs, in my opinion, uh, you shouldn't be performing them and you shouldn't be playing them. Um, and I would say, you know, to new people out there, um, the, the most power you have 
in, in helping music you believe in is, is sharing it with other people, um, and, and coming to shows. Uh, so, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's really all I have to say. Well, great. Well, Matt, uh, for those that are listening and I think they'll hear a little bit when we play a song here from you, uh, I've had, you know, pretty minimal experience listening to you. I've seen you just in a, a house show and also yeah. it uh, just recently, but I got to say right away, uh, I could sense there was a lot of soul to your music, a very, a little bit of bluesiness kind of running through it. I think when you were talking about that, that early kind of rhythm and blues a little bit, uh, uh, from your from your upbringing, I can I can now kind of sense that a little bit, and also you just got great vocals and uh, I think a good presence there as well. Uh, so we uh, we're looking forward to seeing you uh, continue, and hopefully I'll see you down here down in uh, Central Florida in the future as well. Yeah, man, thanks so much for having uh, me on the on the podcast, and I hope to see you again next time I'm down there. Great. So uh, so what song are we going to listen to here, man? Well, I you know one song that kind of uh, the sats people really got behind um and have been champions of it's called it's called warm like whiskey oh i love that song i was kind of hoping you were going to say that (laughs) well matt i want to thank you uh we're going to listen here to warm like whiskey but i want to thank you for being on the agents of innovation podcast thanks for having me so much neon lights leave you in the dark make you cold and homeless at heart But all good loving Let's you stay right where you are With a woman like her A man don't need a bar She's a top shelf The money can never down through the ages and the centuries of time and all my friends are headed out as the day unwinds they try to get some and they get stung I'm coming home from the cold outside oh cause she's warm
neon lights leave you in the dark with a woman like her a man don't need a bar